Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. Today we have a very special episode for you. The Mighty Nine Reunion. Reunited. Reunion. Reunited. (laughs) Reunited. Mighty Nine Reunited Part One. Yeah. Our intros are something to be written about in legend. (laughs) They are totally planned and scripted. So as you can tell. (laughs) But how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good today. Uh, I am glad I got to experience some more Mighty Nine in my life for how little exposure I had had to it. Pretty sure about 90% went over my head. So <laughs> I was I, uh, feverishly on the Critical Role wiki. Why the heck's a cloven crystal? Why does this thing oh. matter? What is this thing? Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing other than uh, I, I will get to the episode, obviously. But in general, I'm doing well today. How are you? I'm glad to hear it, man. I'm doing well as well i'm very excited to talk to you about this for that very reason like i'm very interested to pick your brain on what somebody who didn't watch campaign two thought about all of that and for any of you that are new to us if you watched the mighty nine reunited and you found this video and this is your first exposure to blake and i i'm will that's blake i don't know if i ever said that um we cover all critical role things we do an episode on every uh episode of campaign three we recap each episode um i have seen all three campaigns blake however this is campaign three is his first full-fledged campaign um but he still agreed to watch this mighty nine reunion so we got an interesting (laughs) perspective here you know someone who's seen it someone who hasn't i'm sure many of you are in either basket so hopefully we can kind of cover both we got the here. campaign two virgin and the Chad campaign tour. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it'll, I, I guess disclaimer, since I haven't seen more than maybe 10 episodes of campaign two, uh, be easy on me. Cause I definitely have no clue what a lot of stuff means or what's even really happening. Uh, so just try not to be the guy in the comment section. Who's like, what's up with this dude? He didn't know anything, which <laughs> is true in general, but especially true for campaign two. So, um, any other announcements we have, by the way, before we jump into this, I don't think so. Okay. We, uh, we, we are coming yeah. out with more D&D content, by the way. So if you guys have, if you're a, a dungeon master or you play in a campaign or you want to play in a campaign, we'd love to know in the comments what kind of D&D content you enjoy most. Because uh, Will and I were talking, we're like, dude, we love D&D. Let's just keep making D&D content. So we're going to keep making other content, but we really like the D&D content. So yeah, so be on the lookout for that. And definitely let us know in the comments if that's something you're interested in or if you're running a campaign, if you're in a campaign, you know, we just want to hear it all. Um, yeah. Other than that, we have a little bit of a of a tease. Are we waiting for that for now or are we saying it now? Go ahead and tease it. Okay, we should tease yeah. it. So, you know, we're about to jump into our normal recap like we always do. We're going to recap the Mighty Nine uh, Reunited Part 1 for you. And after that, we'll jump into our discussion. And the little bit of a tease is that we actually have a special guest that's going to be joining us for this discussion. Ooh. So, and it's not my dog walking around, <laughs> and it's not and it's my not dog, Jeremy. That <laughs> loser. Can you imagine if we like really built it up <laughs> and it was just Jeremy? <laughs> I would quit. If I see his face again. I'm out. <laughs> but yeah, so if you're not familiar, Jeremy's our friend. He's a huge douchebag. No, he's great. We, he fills no. in when we need he's him to. The, he's the devil incarnate. Don't don't listen to those lies. Jeremy is right. just love. Um, but yeah. Okay. So you got that to look forward to. But before that, let's jump into our recap um, 
of the Mighty Nine Reunited, <laughs> reunited <laughs> Part One. Uh, do you want to kick us off on this one? I would love to kick us off on. Now we do. By the way, we, the recap always does get cut out as like a separate video. So if you're watching just the recap, um, click the link below in the comments section or in the uh, description. It'll get you the full discussion of the episode. Which, by the way, we want to know what you thought of the episode. Um, but yeah, I'll handle the first half of the recap for a bunch of characters I've never heard of before. Yeah, you better so, pronounce everything correctly. <laughs> so, um, and Will, please just jump in and help me when I'm like drowning. But yeah, I got um, you. So the story takes place six months after the end of Campaign 2, after the fall of Cognusa and the destruction of Lucian. <laughs> Who these people are? I don't know. But point being, uh, it's about six months later, the party has, um, it seems like even though they've done really meaningful work, they've done so in a bit of, um, not in hiding, uh, they haven't gotten the recognition that Vox Machina has gotten. And I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. But besides the fact, it's been about six months and everyone sort of has splintered off to their own shenanigans. So the story first opens up with Veth, who's in Nicodranus, and Veth is putting on a, it, I think of it as like a summer camp, um, yeah. but it's basically this camp for wild mount wildlings, and people come from all over to learn all sorts of camp-like skills. It's near the water, so they also learn surfing, <laughs> uh, and Veth is basically getting ready to welcome their uh, new crop of people who are coming. And one of the funnest things about this camp, uh, other than the fact of their their T-shirts with their motto, Wild Out, uh, <laughs> which typical Sam, so good at these, these kind of things, um, it's totally free. And it's actually funded by a mysterious benefactor who uh, Veth admits he's basically or she's basically laundering money for this person um an amount of money gets sent to this to veth and then they use what they can for the camp and then they send it back clean yeah from um, the gentleman is the benefactor thank you oh is that actually some a character yeah oh i thought he was just saying a gentleman okay yeah <laughs> the gentleman excuse me um also there is luke who is veth's son yes. maybe yep. okay great um, who Luke is trying to like learn uh, his own like roguelike thing. So there's this funny dialogue of Luke being like, yeah, like when people go back to like their cabins at night, that's when I'm supposed to sneak around and see what they're doing. And Beth's like, uh, you know, maybe respect their privacy. And Luke's like, but isn't that like when I'm supposed to do it? And he's like, well, let's just do it like in very, um, I'll let you know when it's time to sneak and when it's time to respect people's privacy. Um, and then there is, I think it was Veth's husband, Yeza. Yeza, husband? Yep. Okay, Yeza, uh, who has their own shop. And the funny thing that Matt mentions is that it's been open for about a month. Uh, and there's been a grand opening three times now, <laughs> <laughs> which if you've ever run a business is actually very typical of starting a new business. So, um, all that to say, um, all the kind of the camp shenanigans are coming together. The story leaves Veth and Nicodranus and goes over to the Cobalt Soul and Zadash. And it is where um, Beauregard is finishing a long day's work. And uh, there's this really funny scene where uh, Beauregard's like kind of getting off the clock and a um, a uh, person comes up to her and she's like, I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock, leave me alone. Uh, very much done with... Yeah. Uh, working the day um so much so that that uh liam o'brien actually jokes like are you in character yet are you role-playing yet or are you just done <laughs> um so anyway uh Bo goes home uh to 
uh, her, I don't know if they're, if they're wife or just, just partners. Um, I don't know if there's marriage really, but, um, her and Yasha are, uh, Yasha's kind of being the homemaker and has put together this really great meal, um, has been getting advice from their neighbor, uh, Martina Stewart on <laughs> great new recipes. Uh, Yasha loves Martina. Bo is like totally done with Martina <laughs> is like, oh, you're still here. Great. And, uh, they're neighbors. So, you know, there's kind of like a little bit of that going on, kind of like suburban, uh, lifestyle going on. And, um, basically, uh, they're just kind of like a cute, perfect couple. Like, uh, Yasha's really encouraging Bo. Um, they're sharing about their day. Um, they talk about how, um, Yasha is tending to a garden that, uh, Caduceus is helping, uh, her put together. And they're like, yeah, life is, um, they share wine and it's like, yeah, life's pretty good. So, Leaving there, uh, we move over to a ship near the Swavane Islands, and this is the Ball Eater, which Jester uh, corrects Matt that it's actually called the Nine Heroes. <laughs> yeah. And it's Jester, Ford, and Kingsley who are uh, working on a trade route off the Menagerie Coast um, called A Stone's Throw. And there's some really funny dialogue where like Kingsley mentions like, well, if we're called the stone's throw, then doesn't that mean we've only gone like a little bit as opposed <laughs> to like actually successfully <laughs> trading and like moving people's stuff. And they're like, well, we're workshopping, we're workshopping it. Um, there's Orly who is the navigator of the ship who is asking, um, captain Ford about which way to go. Uh, there's some funny dialogue there. And then Jester as an aside tells Ford, um, Hey, you should have more confidence and like tell Orly like, Hey, where do you think we should go? This is what I hire you for. Um, and uh, basically, they talk about you know their crew and what they're doing. Um, and Ford mentions there's about ten people on the ship entirely. Um, we leave there. We go over to Rexentrum to the Soltris Academy, where a, in a classroom, um, uh, I can't want to call him Orum. Uh, Caleb is yeah. finishing a guest lecture um in this classroom and in very typical liam o'brien's sweetness uh, has this really awesome like end of speech um ad lib where he talks about the power of transmutation and to really think about what transmutation means for you and also how it might change you uh, which caleb mentions he was never really asked or maybe he should have been when he was younger um, the gnome who's running the class, uh, the class dismisses and, um, the gnome is talking to him and says basically like, yeah, it was a little bit of a dramatic speech, but, um, students seem to like it, I guess. Um, Caleb then retires to go to his private practice, which is his small cottage. Uh, and it's mentioned that he also in his spare time, uh, mentor students who've been rejected or haven't been accepted to the uh, Soltrist Academy. And uh, um, that is, that's what's happening with him. We go back to the Nine Heroes, uh, the ship with Ford, Jester, and Kingsley, and there is a massive storm coming from the north. Uh, and Ford, following Jester's advice, says something along the lines of like, yeah, Orly, what do you think we should do? Where, where should we go? Um, and Orly basically says, the storm's coming very quickly, like we should probably batten down the hatches. Um, it's around this time that Ford feels a um, cold sensation um, 
And in fact, as the storm hits, he feels incredibly unsettled about what's happening. And as a massive, huge wave crashes onto the deck, Kingsley spots the head of what turns out to be a storm giant in the water of the ocean. Uh, panic ensues. It's like there's a dude in the water. He's big. He's real big. <laughs> and as a splash of uh, a wave crashes onto, onto the ship, uh, Ford sees a large glowing yellow eye, the eye of Ukatoa, who, who says, uh, I found you. Um, Scions rush up onto the deck. Uh, a mage comes into combat as the storm giant begins to climb up onto the ship. Combat ensues. Uh, you can just know that pretty much everyone rolls terribly, really for the first half of this of this episode. But some of the important things that happen, um, Kingsley immediately is fighting one of the Scions. Um, Ford flies up into the air to kind of see the battlefield. Uh, Jester is going to run up to the Storm Giant and cast Inflict Wounds at the seventh level um, on the Storm Giant. Uh, and then she's going to get actually smashed by the other hand. Uh, in fact, Jester takes so much damage that she actually gets knocked unconscious. Um, and then the mage who uh, came into the combat, um, came onto the ship, uh, basically says something along the lines of, where's the traitor, where's the key? Which is a clue to Ford as to what they're looking for. He flies down, revives, or, or um, heals uh, Jester with cure wounds, and then basically says, like, um, I'm sorry, like, I have to do this. Into the bag of holding, pulls out the cloven crystal, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> but pulls it out and basically hands it off to the mage um, after the large storm giant basically says, give it over and we'll spare you. Uh, so he hands it over. They're like, deuces, see you later. Uh, and then as they're leaving, the storm giant you know, punches his fist up through the ship, destroys the nine heroes, Not and... Cool. Yeah, not cool. Um, Kingsley has a boat in a box, I guess. Uh, <laughs> pops up this little rowboat. <laughs> Everyone climbs in. They do lose someone to the storm. Um, and um, I think I'm jumping actually into your half. So why don't you take it from there? <laughs> yeah. Also, excellent job, by the way, on the first half there for, you know, not being familiar with anything, basically. Well done. Um, all right, so we pick up with the second half uh, with the crew on this, you know, makeshift boat that Kingsley has provided, basically rowing to the nearest landmass. Uh, while this is happening, Jester decides some, to send some messages out. She first contacts Caleb, fills him in on everything that just happened and where uh, roughly they are, believing it to be uh, near the Twinward Isles, uh, being the landmass that they are currently rowing towards. Um, Excuse me. She then sends a message to Veth and basically tells her the same thing. Um, they then make their way to land, set up camp for the night, and Ford basically really quickly catches Kingsley up on everything that's going on with Ukatoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for asking, by the way, Talison, because I was like, yeah, what? Who's Ukatoa? <laughs> What's happening? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to Caleb, who immediately whips out his sending stone to Bo. He and Bo have a little sending stone telephone line with each other and uh tells her everything that's happening and tells her that 
He's on the way to come get them, uh, so prepare. He then teleports to the Bernardo household, which is Veth's house, to pick her up first. Um, grabs her really quick. She says some very quick goodbyes to her family, grabs her things, um, and then they head out, and they head to Bo and Yasha's house uh, by teleportation via Caleb. When they arrive, they briefly talk about, okay, what do we need to prepare? What should we do? Who should we call? Should we call Caduceus? And no one can actually, <laughs> in this current gathering of uh, heroes, no one can communicate to Caduceus. But Yasha's like, oh, wait, I can. And this is kind of an inside joke from campaign two. We'll probably talk about it a little more in the discussion. So she tries to contact Caduceus, but doesn't hear anything back. So the four of them gather together and Caleb teleports them as close as he can to the Twinward Isles. But he's only vaguely familiar with this place because he's never actually been there. He's just seen it whilst traveling in the past. Uh, so because of that, the teleport is a bit riskier than it would normally be. And as he does it, everyone takes force damage as they're kind of like shunted through the ether. Um, and they actually fall into the ocean about a half mile away from uh, the actual Twinward Isles. But no big deal. We've got some strong swimmers and Caleb uh, polymorphs into a shark. So they easily make it to the beach where they all reunite. Um, all the Mighty Nine finally reunite, except Caduceus, um, with hugs and kind of some friendly ribbing uh, before whoop, before Ford tells everybody the full story of what happened and how they need to race the clock to stop Ukatoa from being released. Um Problem is, they aren't exactly sure where the last seal is and where they should therefore be headed. So Ford kind of starts explaining to everyone the dreams he's been having recently and decides to cast Major Image to kind of paint a literal picture of the dream he's been having so everyone can see. Um, then the party basically deduces, based on these lights uh, more than likely representing cities or lighthouses, they can kind of figure out where they need to go. and. Um, it's about 45 minutes, I feel like. Of <laughs> Could it be this? Could we figure out this way? Or yep, Exactly. Uh, but they ultimately figure oh, out that it is. I was going to say, the, including Matt being like, it's on oh, yeah. the map. <laughs> and then finally realizing, oh, it's actually not it's on not the on map. map. <laughs> yeah, which is why they couldn't locate it. So <laughs> Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> but at the end all be all, they figure out that it is the Sirius End Forest. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, is where they need to go. So now with the tangible destination, the crew makes plans to actually get there. But they're like, well, what are we going to do with like our literal crew um, from the nine heroes that's shipwrecked with us? So they try to figure that out. But then they're like, oh, yeah, wait, we could use um, Yusa's teleportation uh, circle in his tower and get everybody to Nicodronus and that'll work. So Jester sends Yusa a message and is like, hey, uh, can we use your tower? We're going to be in and out. Like, you won't even have to talk to us. And Yusa is like, yeah, okay, whatever. So <laughs> they all teleport, including the crew, to the tower. Uh, Winsworth is there, who is um, like Yusa's goblin butler, basically. And he basically leads them immediately out. And um, the party and the crew are now in Nicodronus. And Kingsley's like, hey, we got to make sure the crew is taken care of, like after everything they've been through tonight. So uh, Ford gives Orly 100 gold and the crew is headed off to the lavish chateau where they're going to get some really nice rooms um, for the night. Meanwhile, Jester leads the Mighty Nine to her and Ford's place where everyone takes a long rest. Um, the next morning, the group plans on how exactly they're going to make their way to the forest. 
Uh, Caleb's never been there before. He's never even seen it, so he can't teleport them safely. So there's a lot of discussion about exactly how they want to do it, but they ultimately, um, well, actually, while they're discussing, Jester scries on that mage from the ship battle at the beginning of the episode to see what they're up to. And she can see that the mage still has the crystal and is kind of traveling through um, the jungle, the forest, uh, with the sea giant behind the mage the giant actually picks up the mage and puts them on its shoulder um so jester comes out of the scry fills everybody in on where she thinks they are um and the group ultimately then decides okay let's teleport to the wyun gate and then we'll have jester caleb and forb ford excuse me uh transform into eagles and carry everyone the rest of the way to the forest which by the way as someone who never watched i was like okay wait hold up like you guys can do what now but anyway, continue. So, so that's what they do. And um, so they turn into eels and there's about an hour duration for the polymorph. So after that hour, they all kind of land into the forest. Uh, some being more graceful than others with the landing. A highlight being that Bo hits a three-point landing. Veth then hits a three-point landing on top of Bo. And Kingsley hits a three-point landing on top of Veth. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Kingsley says, like, as they were flying in on the eagles, he did see the sea giant like in the forest um, and that actually the mighty nine have kind of advantageous positioning with where they are. Um, so then they're trekking through the jungle and the first thing they come across is this abandoned camp and Bo scavenges through and finds a healing potion, I believe. And then like this torn dilapidated journal, she's able to make out a little bit of the text on it. And it speaks of the sun being dead, uh, an endless source of venomous snakes, a nightmare curse on the stones and something about the light of M like it, the first letter starts with an M and then the rest is illegible. So they're not exactly sure what to make from that. Um, but the light of M seems to begin their exodus from hiding. And the, the writer of this wasn't sure when it would stop. So they're like, okay, what do we make of this? Caleb then is leading the next part of the trek through the jungle. And the next thing they come across is this statue partially hidden by the roots of a thick tree. Come to find out, it's actually a carving of the Wild Mother, and they think that her temple is likely nearby. Uh, Jester is able to kind of rip some of these thick tree, tree roots out of the way and expose more of the statue, revealing this like jade gem embedded within it. Uh, Caleb identifies this gem and finds that it has like this divine essence that brings a blessing of luck, good faith, and goodwill to whoever wields it. Um, Ford then pries it from the statue pretty easily and it feels warm to his hand. Veth touches it and feels nothing. So uh, Kingsley notices that the statue is like pointing a direction. I want to say it's northwest and is like, hey, trigonometry, we should go northwest. So they're like, okay. And so the crew starts heading in that direction. And after a bit, they come across this monkey and it's kind of hooting and hollering every once in a while. And Jester tries to, you know, bribe it with pastries. Um, so they keep going and they notice that it's following them. Um, Bo actually distracted by the monkey steps into this, like sport, this, uh, fungus patch and spores kind of go up and, uh, affect the party, causing a few of them to take damage and Jester to get the poisoned condition. Um, Jester then uses, um, I believe it's, uh, the magic mouth spell or something like that to try to emulate the monkey and leave this emulation like recording basically behind them to see if she can maybe distract 
um the monkey and or whatever else <laughs> they continue on um <clears throat> i liked that part though where uh, matt's like is that what does the spell, spell say it does and then travis like jumped in and was like basically not at all what she's trying to use it for <laughs> <laughs> yeah classic right yeah um so they continue on um and they eventually find what appears to be like ruins and the entrance to perhaps this temple of the wild mother but they can also hear the creaking footsteps of the giant nearby. Um, Beth decides to investigate further and up some kind of ruined stairs. She does seem to see a pathway that goes deeper into the temple. So she alerts the rest of the Mighty Nine. Um, and so they decide to just make a break for it. So they're sprinting for this entrance basically as the storm giant is like crushing through the trees, also arriving on the scene. And that's where the session ends. Um Episode one of the Mighty Nine reunited. Reunited. I can't say that for some reason. <laughs> Why is that so hard for you? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if you've made it this far, you've checked out our recap. We want to know what you thought of the whole episode. We're going to jump into our full episode discussion, and we're going to break just very quickly for just a second to bring on a special guest to the podcast, who you're going to see join us in three, two, one. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> and we're back hey uh so we 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 had to we had to bring in since i don't quite have the experience from campaign two we had to bring in another expert uh, a fellow youtuber who enjoys our channel and we also enjoy his channel uh we're bringing in ken from Cy and bella reactions you can find out more at Cy bella on youtube uh they're a critter channel they react to all sorts of shows not just uh dnd and legends of Vox machina but also there's some disney shows on there some marvel shows on there and other shows that you absolutely got to go check out and subscribe to and ken is joining us because he loves dnd and critical role just like we do and we love this channel sure. uh so ken thank you for being here today thanks for joining us yeah thank you man you guys appreciate the opportunity to come and Talk with fellow critters about the show and people and characters that we all love. Well, brother, isn't that the fun of it? Is like I feel like D and D is such a connector, uh, especially like critterdom. You know, like meeting a fellow critical role uh, enjoyer. I think is always really great. So it's really great to have you on the channel. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. and um, Ken, uh, you and I briefly talked about this, but just so everybody else knows, uh, tell us, you know, quickly about how you found critical role have you seen you know all the campaigns ah um so uh my D, D pedigree goes way back to like early grade school where i played one time with people and then played by myself forever <laughs> that's the way it goes right but it's right, so yeah. true <laughs> yeah so i i literally owned the red box version of advanced DD &D with the gray crappy dice and all that stuff and i would you know ride my bike to the hobby shop to buy campaign modules and oh but, man uh, that's great so so uh <clears throat> i was very familiar with DD &D and then um sometime about the middle of campaign two i'm not quite sure exactly where it was i just randomly got uh served a clip it was something like frog pulls four cards from the deck of many things and i was like oh crap that would that would destroy <laughs> a party i've got to see 
what happens there and then i just got sunk wow to into critterdom and i literally went back watched every episode of everything they made in order and i caught up to the live stream right before campaign two ended just an episode or two that's awesome they finished so i've literally watched every episode of Campaign one, campaign two, campaign three, all of the talks machina, all of the four-sided dives, all you know, everything they made that was related. Even Will Friedle's mini painting episodes. <laughs> like yeah. I watched all of it. <laughs> it was it uh I'm just curious as someone who was into so I got into D D after watching Critical Role. Um I was a little familiar with it as a kid. I think my mom bought me like one of those box set like module things. Um but I didn't have any to play with play with it and so it got you know shelved or whatever. Um as someone who is a lifelong D D er and then discovering Critical Role, what was that like? Well um I started on D D but i when i moved to california and i lost all my friends in that process um i kind of lost D also i stayed in role playing but um i would i would game master for a for a uh system called Shadowrun, which is just a different role playing game it's modern day with magic and elves and guns and that kind of stuff um very familiar with the concept of role playing and TTPGs, but I haven't really been a D and D guy my whole life. Just early, it's how yeah. I started. So, but it, the experience of seeing these people just become these characters—they yeah. literally just embody this stuff. It's amazing. It was—it's so immersive and so. Um, captivating uh yeah. yeah i i was an instant fan and um i had literally never even heard of pathfinder which was the system they were using to start with right um but it didn't matter right because these guys are just amazing at what they do and yeah they, they're incredible and and before we jump into the discussion of this episode really quick ken let's give a shout out to your channel um tell us really quick why do you have the channel what do you love about the channel what do you do on the channel and then we'll jump into the discussion got it so um we're, we're a reaction channel we react to a mixture of music music videos uh episodic shows we've dived heavily into all of the marvel episode episodic shows the six and nine episode shows um uh dabbling in anime and really we started the channel right around when season one of legends of vox machina came out and that was when i found you guys because we really enjoyed um will's breakdowns the easter egg stuff because that was uh, a lot of really good details and unless you do it the way he did like diving in and you know slow frame by frame <laughs> <laughs> identifying every detail um yeah, so we really just enjoy interacting with with people in the comments and um, finding new artists in the music realm and we recently went to a, a concert for a big Filipino band that's breaking out into the world scene. And that was so amazing. We had 
our subscribers coming up to the at the concert saying, "Hey, we watch your videos." <laughs> oh, that's so cool! Was like, oh man, I had no idea that would happen. That was oh, amazing. Man. So. That's special. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on the show, and thank you for shouting out Will. For you guys who maybe you haven't checked out uh, some of our other content, Will, if you've checked out the Amazon show Legend of Vox Machina, uh, Will has actually done a really awesome set of videos, Easter egg breakdowns of like the little details that are from Campaign One, uh, and they. I'm sure Will, it was excruciating to put them together because I know you worked on one for like six hours, and then you lost the whole. <laughs> You lost the whole video and had to start over, but yeah, it was it was fun. I was also yeah. teaching myself video editing at the same time, so it was definitely yeah, yeah. a process. So, speaking of Legends of Vox Machina, let's get back to Critical Role. We're going to be talking about our thoughts on Mighty Nine Reunited Part One. And again, if you've missed the recap, um, again, you can go back and watch that in the description. Um, and then also, we want to know what you thought about the episode. So, don't be a stranger. Let us know in the comments what you think about it. Uh, spoiler alert: This will be an extremely spoiler. Uh, heavy discussion naturally because we're talking about this group of characters that's from campaign two so if you're still watching campaign two you think you might go back and watch it which um you know i don't know how much time you have maybe you will maybe you won't uh but all that to say just know right now we're going to be diving heavily into spoilers uh so we are officially into spoiler territory uh so that is our alert um having said that will and ken you guys are the critical role experts compared to me what was it like seeing the mighty nine returned can go oh, you I, go first you're the guest yeah, i guess i'll i guess i'll start off um i was lucky enough to have access to a theater uh performance of the show i, I could easily have stayed home and watched it but this is the first time that i was able to go and watch an episode in a theater and uh I, I have to say it was a little special. Like there were, um, there was sold out, first of all. Um, every seat was full. Not a huge theater, but every seat was full. And uh, I'm not in a major area. I'm outside Sacramento in California. Um, but there were still a handful of cosplays. There was a pretty, pretty good Ladna. Um, oh, man. There were couple of different yashas there uh one two chetney uh i saw a really good bow regard um so that so and and everyone was decked out head to toe in like merch I, <laughs> I felt, felt like a poser because i've got my you know yeah. my, my box mocking basic t-shirt there, there were people there that were like literally carrying armfuls of plushies and you know wearing head to toe it was it was ridiculous that's cool ridiculous. i love that yeah. <laughs> theater experience though that's awesome i love uh, that it, i'm jealous it was it was neat um and I, you know, I met a couple of people around me and, you know, as you do, you exchange the, how did you learn about yeah. critical role? And that's always fun. Cause you know, every critter has like an origin story. Yeah. Right. You know? and it's, Which it's. Yeah. Um, Will, what did you think about the episode? I, it was fun. You know, it felt like, uh, seeing some old friends you hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of describe it that way a lot of people 
that started with campaign two were just like, man, I felt like I was coming home, which is exactly how I felt with the campaign one kind of return twos after campaign one ended because that's the campaign I started in. So mm. it didn't it didn't have that same like super hit of nostalgia for me because that's campaign one for me, but it still was like, Oh, this I'm really happy to see all these characters that I grew to love again. Um, yeah. And it was just kind of funny seeing everybody kind of try to find that same gear, which I'm sure was a bit rusty after, you know, like a year and a half. Um, but honestly, one of my favorite moments and Ken, I'd love to hear what this was like in the theater, but when, because uh, you know they didn't open with the intro so i was like oh are they just not going to do it but then when they had the the campaign two intro pop in after the prologue uh i just missed that intro so much it was so hype and so i can only imagine like were people singing along in the theater or what was the reaction there there i kind of expected singing but um sound system in there is so immense that it yeah. kind of drowned it out i if people were singing i couldn't tell but there was definitely a big cheer when it you know like people were like excited that it was about to happen right yeah um so i i couldn't really discern that there were people singing along but um i'm sure i kind of was right like <laughs> yeah Dude, that video was awesome. I had seen it once before. I don't remember where, because um, it wasn't in early uh, campaign right. two. Right. But I know campaign three's had a, a couple of different, I guess, probably three now different intros. But I was watching; they're fine. But watching that one, I was like, "This is really cool." Yeah. Like, when when do we get the campaign three version? Because this is <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I hope we do. So, no, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I like the episode. Um, I didn't think it was too. I mean, there were definitely like a lot of details where I was like, "Okay, what is that?" Like, what <laughs> I was, uh, Ken, I was joking with Will how I was like, "Okay, let me Google Cloven Crystal" because no idea what this thing is. Um, and there were other details that like kind of threw me because I was like, I didn't know if they were rusty or because I was like, "Wait, Ford's British? I thought he had like a country, <laughs> I thought he had like a country western accent." Uh, so that threw me. And then uh, I told him to what confused me also was uh, I was like, who the heck is Veth? Because also <laughs> nope. I always knew not uh, who was the goblin with the bandages. And and then Knott's also in the in that video that we're talking about. There's a lot of scenes with not, but I didn't see Veth. And so yeah. I'm like, who the heck is Veth? You know, These and so all huge spoiler <laughs> questions. Yeah. And then Kingsley too. I was like, who is Kingsley? And like, because I know, I know Molly Mock died. I know Caduceus was his new character. But then I was like, well, wait. And then I was telling Will his the um the character uh, little profile popped up when it was his turn or whatever, and it was Kingsley Tea Leaf, which I know was Molly Mock Tea Leaf, which I was like. Okay, it couldn't be his son because he's too old. So is it his brother then? And Will was like, "Well, we'll just have to. We'll, you'll just have to wait, and we'll talk about it." But <laughs> so, um, Will, Will, you want to answer the question ooh. about uh, Kingsley, and I'll take the the not questions. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Blake hit me with all these questions, and I was like, "This is hilarious." Let's talk about this on the podcast. So because you're in like a a unique position of, you know, you did see like. 10 to 12 episodes of campaign two. So Blake did have right. like a baseline. So those of you that have seen all yeah, campaign I, two. <laughs> I generally know the characters. Cause like, I know not, not was a thief also. Cause I remember <laughs> yeah. there was a scene early on where not was trying to steal things. And I saw the character profile for Veth also a rogue. So I'm like, 
did not die and then rolled another rogue that doesn't make sense so yes. then anyway continue. yeah so it's just funny you're in like the perfect like scenario to have these like really interesting questions about what was going on so yeah the the kingsley one i'll tackle that one um this is kind of a this is a lot and again we already gave the spoiler warning but again in case you're like mid campaign too um so correct molly mock was the original was talison's original character that died so he had to make caduceus um then like and i'm bear with me on the numbers they're not exact like 70 episodes later in the campaign they decide to go visit molly's grave and find that he's gone like it's dug up and they're like okay whoa what's going on okay here? and then to save everyone you know the hour and a half of me wildly just rambling <laughs> the the big bad essentially of campaign two is this character who is lucian i'm lucian. assuming yes okay um and is, lucian lives in cognusa or is like no. the town or something oh okay he, he goes so there cognusa i didn't know if that was like this is my crib yo like this is my place like we destroyed it i don't know <laughs> um so lucian is actually molly in a way like they're not the same person but lucian <laughs> molly how can i do this Lucian molly is was molly? like a fragment of lucian lucian was his own int lucian existed before molly okay lucian was then basically taken out essentially and okay piece, lucian was killed yeah like um purposefully like with intent to like scatter him essentially i know this isn't making much sense okay is this related to the luxon because you said not really in camp okay just kidding <laughs> pretend, I, pretend i didn't ask that then <laughs> so molly stupid. Never mind. <laughs> is like a a fragment of lucian that like inhabited the body and had its own life and then okay. that was the events of early campaign two um so when Molly died, Lucian was able to eventually regain control of his body and is like the big bad of campaign two. Lucian is then defeated at the end of campaign two and through a crazy, um, I want to say, Ken, was it divine intervention? I don't remember what spell it was. I don't remember the exact mechanism, but somehow. Yeah. But in like a really poetic, like amazing moment of campaign two, Taliesin you know, the original player of Molly. Um, I think it's divine intervention. Some spell like rolls exactly what he needed to for it to like work and like pleads with the wild mother to like restore their true friend. Uh, and so Kingsley comes back. So it's not really Molly, nor is it Lucian. It's like a fully like Hmm. healed soul this is all my own interpretation because it's kind of muddy yeah. and okay. so he's like he's neither molly nor lucian but he's kingsley it's like a new kind of like yeah okay cleansed in a way fresh Are like there... soul and he wanted to be called kingsley like he did, he's like i don't feel yeah. like he didn't want to use the name molly did he start role-playing as kingsley at that point and like caduceus caduceus well, that was, was like that yeah, was literally or... like the last 30 like minutes of the last oh. episode yeah. Oh, so oh never, okay. We don't even know Kingsley. Right. We've never oh, experienced okay. any Kingsley role play except for like that last tiny little prologue moment. Okay, cool. Epilogue? Prologue? Yeah. Uh, epilogue. epilogue, yeah. Yeah. And then are there like, other fragments that are like out and about? Or? Uh, I don't think so. I think no. there was just like oh, one okay. that found Molly's 
Lucian's body and became Molly type of thing. Okay, um, yeah. Interesting. A piece of okay. the whole, if you will. But yeah, so Kingsley okay. is apparently like a new whole. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he... Uh, okay, interesting. This was the first really we get, have gotten to see of Kingsley actually in action. It, which yeah. explains why he keeps saying things like in this episode, I don't know if any of these stories jesters are telling me is true and I'm loving the, you know, yeah. all of this stuff, right? Like, and that's why he didn't know about Ukatoa. Like yeah. Okay. Cool. He wasn't there for that. All right. Then how about not and Beth? <laughs> okay. So uh, I'll try to do this as simply as possible. Not is Beth. Um, not is the result of a curse that was placed on Veth Bernardo. Veth is the core character, a halfling rogue. Halfling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> halfling rogue that uh, messed with like a local goblin tribe, and the goblin tribe was angry with her. I forget the exact details, but essentially what happened is they drowned her in a river, and then got a hag to curse her into the form of a goblin. Oh, okay. That actually makes sense. Then <laughs> later on in the campaign, they managed to reverse that, um, that curse. And so we get Beth back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love okay. not, not is an amazing, amazing, amazing character. Um, and, uh, Beth is basically just a continuation without like the goblin ness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, and then and then Ford's country accent oh, becoming British. Yeah. So Ford has three different accents <laughs> during the course of the Mighty Nine. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day say, "Oh, I can't wait to hear Ford's accent." I'm like, "Which one? Beginning, <laughs> middle, or end?" Because <laughs> he literally changes accents um, and uh, has in-game reasons for it. Like it, he's like was you know pretending to have that accent for some reason i forget what it was and then it shifts again later and he has yet another role play reason do you remember well what those were yeah so originally you know he was that southern drawl like that text blade uh and that's because Eldritch Blade. his his <laughs> mentor vandrin um had that same accent and that was someone he looked up to and when he was kind of out on his own he wanted to emulate like that strength and wanted to be respected like vandrin was so he's like i'm gonna use that same voice like that was just his way of kind of trying to be what he wasn't yet uh so then later in the campaign he kind of just accepts who he is and that british accent is his real accent oh okay cool well it's funny that you say that though because i don't know if you remember this will but i remember when we watched campaign two we watched it together first eight nine ten episodes and we talked about the details being there that ford was hiding something like what is it that he's and we talked about he might even be like secretly um like a different race somehow like we we're like how could this be possible um yeah I so think it's it was funny that early on in a dream there was like a dream sequence and he used his real voice and so we were all like wait what the heck why does he have a different voice yeah yeah something like that oh yeah okay cool all right for everyone who had already seen campaign two, thank you for sitting through that <laughs> deep dive. Um, let's talk about the actual content of, of this episode, um, which before we get to like the meat of it, uh, which seems to be Ukatoa and reclaiming the cloven crystal. Um, what were some of the cool details or Easter eggs that popped up in each person's not origin story, but kind of like return to each person's, 
storyline. Um, what jumped out to you guys that you really appreciated? I, um, <clears throat> I really liked what they did. Um, I feel like the majority of episode, this first episode of this two shot was basically fan service, right? Like, um, everybody wanted to see Yasha and Bo cohabitating domestically. Everybody wanted yeah. to see what's Luke up to and how, you know, what's this little family unit? Cause, uh, for most of the campaign, um, slash not stayed well away from her family. This was a pre-existing family that she had. So, um, yeah, the, there was a, there was a lot of fan service. Um, and then, uh, I, I enjoyed the fact that, um, we're literally having trouble remembering things like they called their ship or Matt called their ship, the ball eater, but <laughs> yeah. they literally had renamed the ship during the campaign that was not its current name, right? Like, um, yeah. So little things like that, you know, where they're catching their stride and falling back into the patterns. And, and, and man, Laura Bailey is such a master. Yeah. From the, from the drop, she was Jester. 100% was, it was stunning. I loved it. Yeah, she uh, she should look into being an actress because I think she's, yeah, she's she's pretty good at it. But no, I felt the same way. I mean, there's a lot of sex, a lot of a lot of horniness. Oh, I, I was so funny. Matt was like, "This is a really horny episode, more than I expected for you guys." But. Yeah, which is saying something. Uh, so I thought that was hilarious, and everyone kind of trying to one up each other in that regard. Yeah. Um, as far as like Easter eggs, I mean, I didn't really. I mean, I'm sure there were like slight nods and stuff, but nothing like overt that I picked up on. I just thought it was interesting to kind of see the lives everyone was was leading. And for those of you that saw campaign two, um, you know, we, we kind of get like an epilogue for every character. Like Matt kind of says, you know, like not necessarily like 50 years from now what's going on, but you're allowed to kind of give like without a time limit on it. Like this is what Ford does, you know, he and, you know yada 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 so i was trying to place because this is only six months after campaign two so for most of the characters this is probably before the epilogues that they shared um right so i just thought it was interesting to see you know where they were but also how a lot of them are still struggling with the same things they were struggling with which is kind of not sad but just like real if that makes sense like we have uh not or Beth, excuse me, who's still, you know, and not that not that she should have been like, no, I'm going to stay with my family because this is like a world ending important thing. I think she should have gone with them. But, you know, she was ready at the drop of the hat to just get out of there. She's still drinking, um, okay. but she took some swigs from her flask during the episode. Uh, you got Caleb, who's still just who's living alone. Uh, you know, he just goes home to his little shack and makes his tower. Uh, Essek uh, wasn't to be seen this episode we had a few people mention like let's call Essek and Caleb didn't want to so I feel like he's kind of still dealing with a lot of his issues that we know he was dealing with um, he did he did at one point put out a line of something like I wonder if I'll see my um Hossian Kryn friend Kryn friend yeah so it's 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 not like Essex gone or 
not present. He just isn't around right now. Right. right. Who's, who's Essek? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Essek is the target of the bisexual panic um, for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Essek is a major Kryn player in the overall story, and then Caleb and Essek kind of have a thing. Oh, okay. I th- yeah, I don't know uh, why I thought. Oh, Caleb. Oh, sorry. I was thinking Ford again because we Ford's the one who maybe said something. Um, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, he's like a fan favorite NPC. Um, so okay, yeah, cool. I just thought it was. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, and I thought it like, again, it was real. Like these characters, it's only six months removed from the campaign. They're not all living happily ever after necessarily. And not that they're like living terrible lives or anything. Like I thought it was awesome that Caleb is teaching. And I thought that little, that RP moment was one of my favorite parts of the episode with Caleb giving that speech to the class. So I'm not trying to be like, like to Debbie Downer or anything, but I just thought it was interesting that like, these are characters and they still have their flaws, you know, even at the end of the story. Um, but you know, on the other hand, you have Bo and Yasha who seem to be just living their best life. So that, that made me happy. Um, power couple for sure. Yeah. And, uh, uh Yasha new haircut was, was Caleb's speech. Was that referring to anything from campaign two? Cause he mentions like, consider how transmutation might change you, which I wish had been maybe taught to me or something or. Is yeah, that like a big... I mean, there definitely was like some layered meanings there. I wouldn't say there's like a specific incident he was talking about, but more so just like his growth throughout the campaign about like what he originally got into, like trying to get powerful for and just kind of how like, you know, the journey yeah. transforms you, you know, like make sure you're doing this for the right reasons. If you're in it for power, like who knows what you may become, you know, so not like a spell that literally transforms you, but what like seeking power might do to you and that well, type actually, of thing. Literally for most of the campaign, Caleb was seeking out the power to transform not into Veth. And they literally did do that. True. So um uh they it was a some sort of a ritual spell that they were able to accomplish having, you know, sort of not mastered Dunamancy, but at least um, explored Dunamancy, and then they built some custom thing where uh, they were able to reverse the curse and then transfer transform not back into Veth. So there was a literal transformation of self for one character. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. true. Yeah. yeah. Um, your your question about Easter eggs, though, um, when Sam was describing. Uh, the Wild Mount Wildlings, Wild Out um, <laughs> Camp, he described several cabins mm. and the names of the cabins were Easter eggs to various uh, places and things from the campaign. So the Happy, Happy Fun Cabin is a reference to uh, basically an artifact that they found that they called the Happy Fun Ball. And there's a whole series of events that occur around and in Happy Fun Ball. Um, isn't that then, the is that the episode you've mentioned well as being like a really great yeah, like a good just single episode model episode to show people yeah yeah okay yeah the the happy fun ball is a a fantastic little sequence um, and then there was the A five cabin and uh, <laughs> they had a map of um, the Aor area this icy area where they were fi- trying to find the city of Aor 
and uh, there were like these cryptic markings and a5 was one of the locations on the map i think it was the location that eventually led them into aor if i if i'm not wrong but um and then the the shakasta cabin is a reference to a character that guest starred multiple times um and this is uh played by carrie payton uh you may know carrie payton as the king ezekiel in the walking dead yeah i love carrie that's great okay so he played a a character that recurred throughout the campaign and was much loved by the fan base oh cool well let's it's it's cool how someone hasn't just like watching uh will your easter egg videos it's nice hearing those little details um and the small like appreciations that matt and the rest of the cast put into this first half. Um, let's move to the back half of the episode, or I guess right before the break, into the break in the back half. Um, so we have, we're on the nine heroes. We have this attack of, they kept calling it a storm giant, but I didn't know if it was like sort of a homebrewed, like more of like an ocean giant because they had like the kelp armor or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but this attack though from, is it fair to call them like Ukatoa's? minions or is it implied this is like a third party that wants to free ukatoa what, what was y'all's takeaway there both of those things could be true um okay so it's not I, super clear then uh they suffered multiple attacks from similar forces during the campaign where ukatoa was trying to you know catch up with them and get back what they what they wanted um so definitely this is 100% related and at the direction of Ukatoa in some way and it is an attempt to free Ukatoa. Now Both give me those are true. Give me some backstory here cuz I I went to the Critical Role week, wiki. I saw that there were three crystals mm-hmm. and two have already been placed. My understanding was all three have to be placed in these different temples and that frees Ukatoa, who's been, I guess, like primordially bonded or something. Um, but two have already been placed. So this mm-hmm. is the last one, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I think it will. Uh, yeah. So there, there's three cloven crystals and throughout the, the campaign, you know, Ford was originally a warlock and Ukatoa was his patron. Um, so um, Ukatoa was having okay. Ford like Ford did the the first two or at why, least the why first did he one. it seems pretty evil why did he <laughs> yeah so and I'm assuming by the way his paladin multi-class he ascribes to the wild mother is what yes. I was putting together okay cool yes so why was he placing these crystals then so that was kind of his arc throughout the campaign he started as a warlock right and he didn't really like it's not like he sat down with Ukatoa and was like all right this is what we're gonna do like he didn't know what this entity was that gave him these powers and so he oh, was kind of discovering yeah. it as he okay. went and the more he learned he eventually was like I want no part of this yeah um, okay but by the time he fully like turned away from it two of the things had already been unlocked so there was just the last one but Ford had the cloven crystal which is like the key to the final unlock so ever since he turned away, Ukatoa has been like sending other disciples, other minions after him to retrieve that last crystal so that he can fully be freed. Also, um, as uh, Ford was discovering that he didn't want to be a part of it, Ukatoa would punish him by removing his powers at inopportune times. So uh, he was 
trying to toe the line between being useless, <laughs> you know, and uh, and being evil, right? So eventually he found a way to break his pact, which is not easy to do. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like like you mentioned, turned to the wild mother uh, as a, a basically as a replacement patron, sort of. Yeah. Kind of maybe, sort of maybe what's going on in campaign three, too. I mean, it remains to be seen with what exactly is going on with Ladna, but um, it does seem like the sun tree, there's some kind of um, definitely analogous to that for sure, is what it feels like. And that those were some awesome moments in campaign two, that whole like arc of him breaking the pact. Um, but not to get not to get lost in the sauce on that, but yeah, yeah, um. One thing, this, like, I know you were kind of steering somewhere. I don't want to. No, no, I, I'm just, no, I'm just keeping it going. We're good. Okay. Yeah, take us, take us where you want to go. One thing I wanted to, and this is kind of, kind of separate from the episode necessarily, but Ken, I wanted to get your opinion. And also, I just heard a lot of talk about this. I know a lot of people were sad that there was no Caduceus. Um, he was one of my favorite characters. So, of course, I was, you know, in a perfect world, I would love to have Caduceus there. Uh, but obviously, that's Talison's decision. If he wanted to play Kingsley, I support it. Um, but it's just, you know, we kind of already briefly touched on this. Uh, it's just interesting because we this is our first exposure to Kingsley. And it's still kind of muddy. You know, I tried to explain it. I'm sure I explained it poorly uh, earlier in the episode. Exactly no, who Kingsley you did, is. You did great, actually. It made perfect sense. I mean, obviously, the mechanics of, like, how and how these things happen was fuzzy. But... It made perfect sense. So keep going, though. But yeah, so I was just going to get, you know, kind of, well, both of you guys, honestly, just first impressions of Kingsley. Um, Ken, I didn't know if if you were missing Caduceus as well. Um, You know, I thought it was kind of funny how they they touched on it with, like, that one moment. They're like, well, we should message Caduceus to see if he wants to come. And they're like, "Eh." oh, yeah, (laughs) I mentioned this in the recap. but I, we have never explained it. So like that moment where Yasha was like, I can message him. There was like this inside joke toward the ends of campaign two, where because of spells that like Veth and Jester were casting uh, the message spell, like Yasha thought she had that ability because like their voices would appear in her head and she could respond to them. She's like, oh, I have this power. So Yasha thinks she can like message people across the world. So that's but why she, she was like, I'll message Caduceus. <laughs> oh. And that's why he didn't respond because she doesn't oh. actually have that oh, ability. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, she I thought she he... has no ability. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, she had the spell and like Caduceus just wasn't responding. I was like, <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes sense. Another so, continued little in joke from, yeah. from the campaign. Yeah. And, and, uh, may have heard the term chaos crew that was coined during, uh, during the mighty nine campaign. And the chaos crew was basically what? What was it? Bo, Jester, and Not, or and uh, they were they would mess with people, yeah, hardcore. And <laughs> when when Yasha decided that she had this mystical power, they like messed with her and made her believe that she did. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, and then for me, Will, uh, Caduceus, I, I never saw that character because um, I never saw up to Molly Mock's death. Um, right. So I, I was totally indifferent. I think what was tough for me was, um, so like someone like Jester, who was so 
such a pronounced character, so to speak. As soon as Laura Bailey was was playing Jester, it was very familiar and kind of a return to that memory of like, oh, these characters that were so much fun. But with Taliesin's character, I just kept seeing um, uh, from Campaign 3, um, Ashton. Oh, really? I just kept seeing, I kept wanting to think of him as Ashton because that is, I mean, you know, we're 40 episodes deep in the campaign three. And so that's just, and it's odd how I did that with him, but everyone else, it was like, oh yeah, that's Bo. Yeah. Yasha was still a little fuzzy for me because I think, I think uh, Ashley Johnson was maybe absent quite a bit mm-hmm. at the start. I think I only saw a couple episodes with her actually there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah she, she was still doing blind spot at that time. So they, hashtag cancel blind spot (laughs) they wrote a a bit of ashley's backstory that she would just disappear all the time and literally just frittered off into the wilderness at random moments yeah that that conveniently went away as a property of her character once blind spot was over yeah okay (laughs) uh but yeah so ken what, what were your thoughts on like Kingsley just in um, general and I I agree I saw a lot of Ashton in his portrayal of Kingsley um Kingsley is supposed to be a a, a completely different character than Molly Mock so he can't play him as Molly Mock right Right. yeah personality was different than I remembered for Molly Mock go ahead it's a different personality it's a different person a different entity and I think um I think uh, Taliesin really was mourning the loss of Molly Mock, right? I think he he really didn't want to let go of that character. He had such big plans for him, and he had so much invested, and his death was really a kick in the pants uh, when it occurred. Like, it was was not a happy time for the fandom, for the cast. It was really a, a, a big shock. Was our it was the first actual permadeath in critical role history, right? Like no one had ever completely died in that way, really. That there's another huge spoiler for C one there, but we'll uh we'll leave that for another time. Um but uh yeah, I I saw distinct personality traits being trade in Kingsley. I associated heavily with Allison's portrayal of Ashton. So I can see exactly what you're saying there. And it being a blank slate for us, we don't really know who this guy is. There's nothing for us to layer on him Mm -hmm. except the stuff that we've seen most recently. Right. So it, it is not, it's not just playing Ashton. That's for sure. It's different than that. Uh, there were there were definitely some flavor of that in some way. What what class is Kingsley? Rogue blood hunter, right? Yeah, okay, that's right. Okay, so which still is, has the blood hunter element. It's funny because you know it. Chetney Travis as Chetney in campaign three was like, I'm now the highest level blood hunter that has been on critical role, kind of as a, a rip to Talison, and yeah. now Talison is once again the highest level. Yeah, back yeah. on top. Okay. That's, well, that's funny. but as far as Caduceus, I also love Caduceus. It was was a slow burn for me during the campaign. Like it was it took a while for me to to appreciate 
Nelson's portrayal. But after, you know, 10, 20 episodes, you can't help but just love him because, you know, it takes a while to put on a new a new outfit, right? Like, yeah, he had to he had sure. to get into the flow of it. And once he was once he was fully inhabiting Caduceus, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, Which, for, go ahead, Will. I was just going to say, speaking of putting on a new outfit, it's kind of a lame segue, but bear with me. I since this was our first exposure to Kingsley, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, you heard the kind of muddy backstory of how he came to be. Like, I wasn't sure if he was going to have similar mannerisms to Molly, to Lucian, you know, didn't know. So coming in and seeing that he was basically completely different from both of those characters, wholly his own thing. Obviously, there's shades here and there of both. One thing I did notice that I thought was interesting is in the character art. So this is the new outfit part. Uh, Kingsley is like covered head to toe, which Molly slash Lucian had tattoos everywhere. So I just thought it was interesting that maybe like hmm. he doesn't like he doesn't want like he's not not that he's ashamed or anything, but like that's not him. So he covered the he covers those up because he's his own character. And I just thought that was and may, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but I just thought that was a nice like little character detail to be like Kingsley's his own guy, you know, let's mm-hmm. new outfit, new character, who dis? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, he doesn't want to rep the old guy's choices. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to, we're, we're getting towards the end of our conversation. Let's talk implications of what's happened in the back half of this episode and potentially what, what do we think is waiting us in the continuation uh, about a week and a half from now. So implications, like what's what's going to be happening moving forward, do you guys think? Um, combat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's be I, one big, long combat, I suspect. Do you think, I agree, what I'm curious on, I think they probably released how long the episode is, but I don't have that information in front of me. Um, this This first episode was roughly five hours, I think. So assuming the next one's around that length, do you think they have enough time to, there's obviously going to be some temple encounter either with the storm giant and the mage or or whatever, right? So that's one combat, presumably. Do you think they're going to be successful in releasing Uktoa and there's going to be an Ukatoa combat as well? Because I'm just, I think there is the space for it, but that feels rather tight in just one episode. Or do you think, the the final encounter is going to be with the storm giant and they successfully prevent Ukatoa from being released. Do you think Blake? I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to release Ukatoa because we know this is eight or nine years away from campaign three. Um, and I feel like, I mean, the campaign three heroes are, you know, totally, it's naive to the like things that are happening around the world. Like didn't know what the Cerberus assembly was, things like that. So part of me though, wonders if we would have had some kind of Ukatoa reference, but then maybe that would have spoiled the two part. I don't know. Um, I do think it's gonna be mostly combat. I did check the time. It's five hours and 45 minutes for part two. Okay. It's quite a bit of a longer episode. Um, absolutely. They're going to fight the storm giant, the mage and the entourage. Um, Who's to say what happens? Can they not destroy the cloven crystal? By the way, is it indestructible or? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, I think I th- they tried in previous because there were there were three of them, and I think they attempted to damage 
one of them at least and were unable to. Yeah, okay. Should they have not kept it on their person while sailing the sea? Probably. Oh, yeah, but, I love Travis's <laughs> like, yeah, I had no exit strategy whatsoever and just kept this <laughs> kept this on me the whole time. <laughs> Personally, yeah. I think that um that may have been a a plot hook choice maybe between Matt and Travis. Yeah. Um, for purposes of shenanigans, you know, um, and I, you, you know, they do that kind of thing, right? Like we want to have shenanigans, you know, <laughs> yeah. what kind of shenanigans do we want to have? So let's let, let's lay the path for those to occur. Um, I, um, I personally think we're 100% going to have combat probably for a significant portion of the episode, with the um, both the crew that's approaching the temple, I suspect there's probably also more inside the temple. Yeah. So they're gonna get they're gonna get pinchered. Um, and I I suspect that obviously this is pre-recorded, so we they know the outcome now. But I'm not certain that it was a guarantee that Ukatoa wouldn't be freed. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that it would have preordained the ending. So yeah. I suspect uh, that Matt is the kind of GM that's like the clock is ticking, right? If they had, you know, effed off to, you know, go see Essex for a day, and well, uh, uh, they got there, and now Ukatoa is ravaging the Menagerie Coast. You know, like, yeah. What now? Yeah. Uh, so, um. I don't know if we'll see actual Ukatoa. I don't think we're going to. I think that the that the team has managed to do the things correctly, get ahead of that. I think they got the jump on team that was headed to the temple. So I think we will not see Ukatoa. I suspect we will see more combat than just the people that we already saw. Is Ukatoa sort of the spin on uh, 5e's or D&D's uh, Kraken? It's not like sort of. I think Matt one time mentioned it was like a Kraken on steroids, basically. Okay. So it's not like literally just a Kraken. Like there's a there's well, there's like a Kraken deity ish in in D&D &D, uh, in the Wizards of the Coast D&D. &D. Um, and I know Matt's taken a lot of inspiration from different um characters from there but um okay here's a question for you guys are there any chances that we see the permadeath of a character or even a tpk like in a calamity-esque ending there's certainly a chance of that but if that quote-unquote had occurred in the time travely timey wimey wibbly wobbly thing we're doing here going back in Andrea history it would have a massive impact on the history of Alexandria as we know it um current day c3 right so don't think that they can have that right because there's no indication that ukatoa ravaged the world right in current in current known history Right, and let's see what you're saying. Right, so it would be very um, revisionist or 
alternate university or you know i'm not sure how they could justify such a thing because the only thing only way we could see a, a total party death be if they fail if they fail katoa is released mm-hmm. right like those are the consequences of that so i don't think it can happen um and uh i in in matt's way he's railroading this just like any dm has to railroad any campaign to get like abbreviated to occur yeah. where they occur the the fight on the ocean the lucidian ocean fight was not winnable right they could not win that fight right it was a runaway get beat down and run away fight and they, and they knew it right you don't take 61 damage from one strike and think oh well yeah we could win this with the three of us <laughs> just it's not winnable right so they weren't gonna succeed right there um but he designs his encounters to be appropriate to the challenge so I, I really don't think we'll we may see singular character death that could certainly happen but maybe kingsley party. since no one knows who he is <laughs> so. he's, he's <laughs> expendable talson's like again really <laughs> yeah i i'm with ken I, I definitely could see somebody dying i don't see a tpk happening um that'd be crazy though uh I, you <laughs> know i don't think matt would like pull punches necessarily so i think it's possible but i really don't think that would happen um it's, it definitely doesn't seem like it's with with calamity we knew it was i mean we didn't know no but we kind of knew hey we're all dying yeah like by the end yeah. of this yeah. um which is definitely not the the not the writing direction or the implications but um anyway continue well i was just gonna quickly say that i don't i'm kind of on the fence on if i think Ukato will get released and there will be an encounter but i want there to be because i kind of almost feel like it would be unsatisfying if if it if it didn't you know because unless what they find a way to destroy the crystal all of a sudden that's always going to be looming overhead if like well what if you know like just gotta go to mount doom <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> so it, it feels like a lot to pack in one episode but i'm hoping that there is an encounter is Ukatoa is Ukatoa like on the same level of like the gods, like the deities, like it's not a deity, be... but it's more like a okay. demigod or mm. something. It's it's like okay. a category down. He's definitely powered, but not like wild mother level. Yeah. yeah. Okay. God. Well, it is seemingly the wild mother's temple. Um, so maybe there'll be a divine intervention of some kind. So definitely primed for a cool moment with Ford, especially since those are his two tethering mm-hmm. forces at, at play here um this really is a ford story mm-hmm. yeah, for sure well gentlemen final thoughts on the episode or any other comments you want to make as we're wrapping up um yeah i i did have one other thing that i that i noted um in bo's uh little exposition stuff she was talking about how the Cerberus assembly was quiet, that they were doing nothing. And uh, I found it very interesting that they would call that out specifically that Bo was 
like on that or on that story Mm -hmm. because that has implications toward events of campaign three and uh and it Obviously, doing nothing isn't a very exciting implication, right? But the fact that they're watching and that she's specifically in charge of that endeavor makes me wonder if we'll catch some Mighty Nine uh, cameos in Campaign 3. That would certainly be interesting because we know her and Caleb both were very like keen on snuffing some of that corruption out, so... Yeah, this is six months after C2, so C3 is, what, several years down the line? So it'll be interesting to see if... I mean, we at least know that... uh, What's his name? Ludinus is still apparently the head of the Cerberus Assembly several years later. So I I wonder if we'll get any connective tissue that lets us draw any lines there. It's it's certainly possible. They've they've made it so that it can happen. These connections, so... Will it? I don't know. I, I, oh, and the other thing is, I loved, loved, loved Sam's little uh, monologue about end of the world is nigh and no oh, yeah. one knows it, and we're the only ones that can stop us. We're totally on brand. Like <laughs> yeah. that literally happened to them multiple times, and it was it was kind of the direct opposite of the famous vox machina you know save the world and everybody knows it kind of thing it was so funny (laughs) yeah and i guess we don't have we don't really have time to get into it but i am i was wondering why the mighty nine didn't seem to have similar acclaim as vox machina um because i think in uh exandria um the original like season um wasn't like they're like a statue to um vex and vex yeah, and by and, uh, Rodin, yeah. right? So, like, these are like heroes. Yep. Um, I was surprised that the Mighty Nine seemingly are um, unknown of, as far as I could tell. I, I couldn't really see if that was the case. Um, character choices, they were um, very much a different style of crew, they were morally gray. That's, that's <laughs> <Okay>. generous okay <laughs> yeah. maybe we can we can dive more into that for part two yeah okay uh will any final thoughts uh no just that uh you know i'd love to hear what everyone else thought especially if you are going to leave your thoughts i'd love to know if you watch campaign two versus if you didn't um but yeah i i'm excited for the second episode for sure Okay. Well, yeah, like Will said, let us know in the comments what you thought about the episode. Any other details that we missed that you picked up on or things you appreciated we didn't talk about, uh, let us know. And then we'll be back. So the second episode airs on December 1st. So the three of us, Ken included, is going to be back to talk about part two uh, here in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, absolutely check out Ken's channel, at Cy Bella. It's Cy and Bella Reactions. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll link it in the in the description as well. Right. Uh, don't forget, you can check us out on any of the podcast platforms. Uh, we're at The Pixelist on Twitter. And we would appreciate you guys letting us know what you thought. So having said that, uh, thumbnail, guys. we got to do a thumbnail. Oh, yeah, I don't know. A, a three-person wild, wild thumbnail. Out. Yeah, let's do the wild out. I love that. Wild out. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's do that. All right, three, two, one. (laughs) That's so great. All right, well, we'll catch you guys later, and thanks for tuning in. See ya. Bye, y'all.